they had believed in the Lord, so you know they they had made that initial um, statement and walking out of their faith, but they did not have the Holy Spirit within them in such a way that like the Lord wants for us all to have. The Holy Spirit fell on them at Pentecost, filled them, they went out and automatically, you, you see a huge difference. They went from um, being scared and being you know locked in a room saying, oh my goodness, the, the Romans are going to come and get us next, to they're going out into a crowd and proclaiming freely the name of Jesus and saying, it doesn't matter what, ha- what, what you do to us, you know, come what may, we're going to proclaim the name of the Lord anyway. And not only that, but the, uh, the level of, of response was incredible. The, the first day, Peter preaches the first sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. So fill, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a vital, vital importance to the believer. And we celebrate that happening on the day of Pentecost. But... It, now, who, who read my? I'm gonna I'm gonna put you on the spot. Who read my email this morning? Okay, thank you. I don't know that I've got your email. You don't have. I've got. I need to get your email address. Make sure you get those. I'm sorry. Um, so we'll make sure you're you're on there. Um, so being filled with the Holy Spirit is not just a one-time experience. Now I think that being receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, where you uh, or start to operate in the gifts. Yeah, but we should be continually filled. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 5. Um, he says, don't be drunk with wine, but be, it's, it's an imperative. So who, who's my grammarians in here? Imperative means what? A command. Perfect, thank you. So it's a command. Be filled. And it's, it's, it's in the present tense in the, in the Greek. In, um, in the Greek, present means continuous. All right? So it's not be filled and at one time instance in the past it's be continually filled with the holy spirit so and if it's a command the lord doesn't issue commands that he doesn't expect give us the power to keep that would be that would be a a bad father right um so i wanted to start with um uh, charles finney i've mentioned before um, I'm gonna. This, I'm gonna read a little bit of these lectures that I mentioned to you, and this is on being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so Charles Finney, um, his revivals were. Some people say they're in between the second and third uh, awakenings, great awakenings. Um, I kind of pair them towards the end of the second, so around the 1840s. Um, he's really, really. Um, Boy, well, he's got me stirred. Um, Here's, here's Finney. says, But again, God has commanded you to have the Spirit. He says in the text, Be filled with the Spirit. When God commands us to do a thing, it is the highest possible evidence that we can do it. For God to command is equivalent to an oath that we can do it. He has no right to command unless we have power to obey. There is no stopping short of the conclusion that God, uh, conclusion that God is... Um, there's a stopping short of the conclusion that God is tyrannical if he commands that which is, imp- is uh, impracticable. <laughs> so, some of these words are, are the, the old English that you just, I'm like, okay, what, is he, what does he mean by that? 
Um, it is your duty to be filled with the Spirit. It's your duty because you have a promise to it, because God has commanded it. It's essential to your own growth in grace that you should be filled with the Spirit. It's important as it, it, it is as important as it is that you should be sanctified. So uh, you should be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you can continue to be sanctified. Sanctified means that you, you grow to be more like Jesus. You are... Um, uh, leaving sin behind and getting uh, in a life that is more holy and more uh, more like Christ. Um, it's it's necessary as it is that you should be useful and do good in the world. So he's saying, be filled with the Spirit so that you can be of, of good use. If you do not have the Spirit of God in you, you will dishonor God, disgrace His church, and be lost. Um, Let me. I'm going to skip some here. Um, I will say that he says, you know, some of the things, if you are filled with the Spirit, he said... Um, uh, you'll probably be, be, be called eccentric. Um, that uh, people may think that you are an eccentric people, that you are, um, we, we might say in our terminology, crazy. All right? You might, you'll expect, expect opposition from the devil and expect opposition from other people and even from others in the church. Right? And this has happened before. You know, when the, when the Great Awakenings happened, um, a lot of the a lot of the opposition to um, to Whitfield and Edwards and the Wesley brothers and it came from other quote unquote churches and Christians. Same, you know, it happened even here in Connecticut that they tried to to keep Whitfield out and the those in the first Great Awakening they said no, nope, unless you're a Congregationalist you can't come in and preach in Connecticut, and those were Anglican guys so nope you can't do it. Right, so expect opposition if you're if you're being filled with the Spirit. Um, and then let me um, finish. I'll just finish with this here. Christians are these are just remarks following. Say Christians are as guilty for not having the Spirit as sinners are for not repenting. So the command is for people to repent everywhere. In the same in the same manner, if Christians are not filled with the Holy Spirit, there is there basically is guilty, if you will, because it's been a command for us to be. So if we're not if we're not entering into that, then there you go. Um, they are even more so as they have more light. They are so much the more guilty. All beings have a right to complain of Christians who have not the Spirit. Did you hear that? All beings have. All beings have a right to complain of Christians who have not the Spirit. Or let me put it in our parlance. Um, all beings have the right to complain of Christians who don't have the Spirit. You're not doing work for God, um, and He is, uh, has a right to complain. He has placed His Spirit at your disposal, and if you have not the Spirit, God has a right to look to you, uh, look to you and to hold you responsible for all the good that you might otherwise do. You are sinning against all heaven, for you ought to be adding to the happy ranks of the redeemed. 
sinners, the church, and ministers all have a right to complain. For those who um, are not actively engaged in being filled with the Spirit. You're an obstacle in the way of the work of the Lord. It is vain for a minister to try to work over your head. Ministers often groan and struggle and wear themselves out in vain, trying to do good where there is a people who live so that they do not have the Spirit of God. If the Spirit is poured out uh, at any time, the church will grieve him right away. Um, thus, you may tie the hands and break the heart of your minister and break him down and perhaps kill him because you will not be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> I didn't write this. Um, you, you see the reason why Christians need the Spirit and the degree that their dependence upon Him. Do not tempt God by waiting for His Spirit while using no means to procure His presence. In other words, He's given you the command to do it, right? Now, it's His Spirit, right? We don't command so much His Spirit, right? But He's given us the command to be filled. So we need to be actively pursuing that and realizing, and, and realizing by faith that we need to, to have that in our lives. So it's, it, if you will, from what, I, I, my, what my own experience and also reading him, you know, it's really that prayer of faith and expectation. When you're expecting it, then God will meet that expectation. Uh, if you mean to have the Spirit, you must be childlike and yield to his influences, just as yielding is air. If he is drawing you to prayer, you must quit everything to yield to his gentle strivings. No doubt you have sometimes felt the desire to pray for some object and you have put it off and resisted until God left you. If you wish him to remain, you must yield to his softest leadings. Watch to lean what he would have you to do and yield yourself up to his guidance. Christians ought to be willing to make any sacrifice to enjoy the presence of the Spirit. Um, you see from this that if... if uh, it must be very difficult for those in fashionable life to go to heaven. What a calamity to be in such circles. Who can enjoy the presence of God in them? Um, uh, the last one here. Many professors of religion. So, um, professor, I, we think a professor at, like at a school, okay? Uh, professor, this is people who profess to be religious, Many professors of religion are as ignorant of spirituality as Nicodemus was of new birth. They are ignorant and, I fear, unconverted. Um, if anybody talks to them about the spirit of prayer, it's all algebra to them. So he's, he's saying by that, look, just because we think that we are Christians and in some form of religious um, does not mean that we automatically have the Spirit and that we're automatically doing everything that He would have us to do. So the importance of being filled with the Spirit, we, we need to grasp this. And like I said, by, by prayer, by faith, by expectation, that we, we say, look, we're, we're going to come together and every time we get together, the Holy Spirit's going to be with us. We expect it. We expect his presence. We expect that he's going to fill us, that he's going to meet with us, and that we're going to get together and we're going to have a Holy Ghost party every time. We need to have that level of expectation. Um, you know, we think about, uh, I'm going to transition here a little bit with this. We, you know, we think about the, the Jesus movement days that a lot of you all uh, grew up grew up in, and 
uh, we, we think about those days and, and it was um, easy, if you will, for people to get saved. It seemed, it seemed like that um, all you had to do was, was toss the net out there and bring it back in and it was full, right? You, you'd just have a meeting and people would come. And those days um, do not it, it have to be over. Um, a lot of it, we just need to expect that that's what's going to happen. And instead of, Finney says in one, one place, he says, instead of just praying for people to be convicted, which is not a bad thing, okay? But it's, he said, instead of just praying for people to be convicted, let's pray and expect that any time we talk to somebody about the gospel, that they'll be converted. Okay? Do you see the difference? All right? Not just that they're going to have a realization of their sin, which they need to have, but we're going to pray and expect that they'll, they'll completely be converted. And we need to be ready and willing to also to give that um, invitation, which we're going to talk about a little bit here today. Because when I, be, I believe, look, this is, this, is going to, this is going to happen, all right? And I, I really should say it this way. This is immediate, Okay, when we believe and have faith and expectation, um, we need to believe that, look, this is not in way off in the future. We need to expect next, you know, this Sunday, today, next Sunday, we're going to get together. And uh, when we do, the Holy Spirit's going to show up and um, people are going to feel his presence. People are going to be converted if anybody needs to get saved, that's going to happen. If people need to get right with the Lord, that's going to happen. If people need to get healed, that's going to happen. Every time we get together, we need to believe and expect that, that God's going to show up and whatever needs to happen will. We need to have that level of faith and expectation. And as, as we do, um, you know, I, I think about, um, you know, we're going to look at Hezekiah. Uh, and Hezekiah walked into a situation that was very, very difficult, okay? Um, his, his dad was one of the worst kings in all of Judah. Judah's in the south. We talked about Israel in the north last week, and I think I said it, it was Ahab. I think I said Ahaz a number of times last week, but it was Ahab in the north. Okay, this is Ahaz in the south, all right? Ahaz was a bad king. Bad, bad southern king. Hezekiah was his kid. Hezekiah was a great king. have no idea how that happened. But nonetheless, Ahaz, um, he, uh, he started sacrificing to other gods. And then when he got defeated in battle, he went, oh, those other gods are more powerful than well, the other ones I was serving, so I'm going to serve them too. So he closed down the temple. He put um, you know, idols around the temple and uh, in the temple, and, and so the, the, the worship of the true God was um, basically uh, shut down in Judah during the time of, of Ahaz. In fact, um, they, would, they would even sacrifice their children to Moloch, and, and what, what they would do, there would be like this idol with his arms out, like, like such, and they would take these, in, these babies and set them in the arms of this idol, and the baby would roll down the arms into a furnace. And this was happening 
in Judah, in the place where um, the, you should have the people of God. Okay? Bad stuff going on. This was, this was what Hezekiah was born into. So if there was a, a time that was rough and bad and needed help, Hezekiah was, was born into that. Okay? And I, I, know, that, I know that we've got a, a great group of people here. But we got some bad news out there. There's great people too. I'm not saying it's not it's not all bad. But you know, when you look at what's going on in our country, we need we need help. We need God. We're not we're not offering kids to idols, all right? But you know what? Kids are dying. They're dying of drugs. There there's a there's a epidemic with the drugs right now, and people you know kids and young younger adults are, are dying. It, it shouldn't happen. You know, it's not, it's not laying him down in an idol and sending him to burn, but let me tell you what, the idol of drugs is, is not far off. We are, we're not training kids up right, and they're making terrible decisions. We're, we're, we're um, you know, uh, abortion is, is getting less, which is, which is great. It's a, it's a, blessing it's a praise the lord that even legislation could happen soon that will um, even help that but you know we've got millions of kids that are dying every year of abortion right that at, at the to the sacri- being sacrificed to the idol of convenience It's not an idol that where they're setting a kid in the arms of this literal physical idol, but there is an idol of convenience that we are we are sacrificing kids to all over the country on a daily basis. So we we have we have work to do. We have reform that needs to happen. And Hezekiah uh, brings a lot of the reform. Um, and I'm not going to read it all, but if you want to look in chapter 29, um, we're going to focus a little bit more on chapter 30. But Hezekiah begins to, to do this reform. He, um, he opens up the temple of God, um, you know, and they start from one spot, and he starts um, cleansing the temple, right? He, he was like, okay, let's take everything out. Let's, you know, clean it all up. Let's get rid of all the idols. Let's get rid of all the trash. Let's get rid of all the... All the junk that was in there that, that was not that's not supposed to be in there. Let's let's get rid of it, burn it, and then let's set it up in the right way, so that God can be worshipped in this place once again. And it took a lot. It took time. It took time to go through and to cleanse the temple of God and to to rebuild it, if you will, not rebuild the structure, but they had to they had to. Um, uh, they had to redo a lot so that it was ready for worship and ready for worship of, of Yahweh, the true God, again. And I, you know, I see a time that, um, uh, you know, this place, we've got to do some reform around here, you know. Maybe some of that's physical. Maybe we'll have to knock this wall out and, you know, because we, we can't just, just can't contain all the people in here. But... We need to make sure that we are right. When you, when you, when you come into a, a situation like Hezekiah, how do the people need to respond? 
And you, or you walk into a, a situation like we have today, okay? I'm not talking about you so much, just to you, okay? You know, where, where we have a, um, a country and a state and this area here that just needs, um, Willimantic needs, needs Jesus so bad. They, they really, really do. Um, we need economic reform here. You know, there's good things that are happening. There really are. But um, this town really, really needs God in a huge way. They, the, the drug problem needs to go. The kids that, you know, our school systems here have just um, been very, very low on the, you know, even on, you know, on the state level. And all of this can change with when God shows up, when the church shows up, when we get filled by the Spirit. So what do you, what do, you do uh, when, when you're into that, in that situation? How are you supposed to respond? Um, so first, you know, what, did, what did Hezekiah do? He, um, he reformed or he, he brought reform to the temple. He brought reform to the temple. He, he cleansed it. He got out all the junk right? Got rid of it. Now, um, we've, we've, uh, we've sold our uh, house before, and uh, we, we actually had a realtor walk through with a place where we're um, renting the other day, and I, you'll probably know we homeschool our kids, so think, think about um, the number of books. We have each of them, what, six or seven different subjects, right? And uh, four times four, we have books upon books, and they're organized, they're 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 well kept. But when somebody comes over, you know where the books are now? They're in, they're in a box downstairs in our basement, <laughs> right? And I'm sure you all do this. You have company, and you you look around your house and say, "I need to straighten this up. I need to put this away. I need to hide." This. It's not just us? No. Oh, good. No. If Jesus walked into your house, what would you hide? Everything. Yeah. If, would you make sure your Bible's out on the table? He, he walks in and says, yes, Lord, I, do, I was just reading that. <laughs> if Jesus walks in, um, w- would you show him your phone? <laughs> make, sure the, make sure the Bible app's right there in the front, right? <laughs> it's not on the last page of your app on your phone. I read, I read that every day. Yes, Lord, I do. Are there things that you definitely would have to put away? Are there movies? Are there books? Are there pictures? Are there things that you go, you know what, that's not quite appropriate for Jesus to, for him to come over and have dinner with me. What about, what about this temple? What about this house? You invite Jesus in here. Are there things that you hide? Are the things that you say? You know what? I'm just going to, I'm just going to let that 
I'm going to just cover that up. You know, it's interesting to me. Um, I, I go up and down 32 quite a bit and have for years. And um, every once in a while, I'll, I'll start looking at the houses. And I'll look and I'll go, I, I don't rem I really actually haven't ever seen that house before. And I've, I've driven by it hundreds of times. Tim, I'm sure you can relate. You've driven 32 a whole lot back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Right? So, and y'all, I'll kind of look and go, huh, I never noticed that. But I think that's a lot how things are in our house. You know, you, you'll, you'll set something down in a corner or maybe, maybe a, a shelf that you have a bunch of knickknacks on, right? And if somebody asks, or maybe your bookshelf that you have a bunch of books and you'll, they'll ask you, hey, do, do you have this on, next, on this shelf? And you'll go, maybe. You see it every day, but you don't really see it. But I think it sins a lot that way. We begin to live with it, right? And you don't focus on it, but it's there anyway. And I'm wondering, you know, are there things in this temple that, that we need to have that spotlight shined on once again. And I'm going I'm to tell you, I'm, I'm not here to um, uh, bring guilt or condemnation, nor am I here to convict. Okay, Guilt and condemnation comes from the devil, and conviction comes from the Holy Spirit, and I'm neither one. Okay? Might be called that, but no, I'm, I'm neither one. All right? So, but... What I am here to do is to try to bring light and truth, okay? And let the Holy Spirit then do his job of bringing conviction. You don't want the condemnation, the guilt, that's from the devil. If that's happening, get rid of it. But we do need to have that light shined on those things in our lives. And we all have them, let's face it. They might be big, they might be small. They might be that... Um, uh, that that you know person or situation you say I've, I'll never forgive them, and you know what you're right. As long as you keep saying I'll never forgive them for X Y and Z, you never will. But when the Holy Spirit shines light on it, He can bring you to a point where you can a forgive, or b if it's a sin that you need to just get rid of. Um, he, can, he can bring that repentance and bring that step into getting rid of the sin and bringing healing. And what's, what's really bad is when we just are walking by the sin and we never see it. When the Holy Spirit brings the conviction and we start recognizing it, then we can actually bring that to the front. And we need to be ready and willing and able to say, look, this is a problem, and I need to get rid of it. And then, as long then you can start taking those steps, and either the Holy Spirit can step in and and break that thing and get and let you get rid of it immediately, or if you're even just taking steps and say, okay, I'm going to get rid of it, and I'm better today than I was yesterday, and I'm going to be better tomorrow than I was, you know, today. As long as you go in the right direction, and let the Holy Spirit to continue to bring that to light and to get rid of those things that we all have in our hearts in this 
this house that we need to make sure we're not covering over the, those things, right? Let the, Lord, let the Lord clean house. Let the Lord clean house. You know, then Hezekiah does something amazing. In uh, chapter 30, it says, Now Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. Now, that doesn't sound... It, it, it's, it's nice. You're like, oh, that, that was nice of him to send out an invitation, right? Send out an invite and um, let, let's all get together again. During his dad's time, they were at war with Israel. They, um, at one time they had, this is uh, chapter 28, verses, verse 6, they had 120,000 soldiers slain in a day. Okay? 120,000 people from Judah slain by the northern kingdom of Israel in a day. And 200,000 of them were taken captive. Now can you see why this is an amazing thing that Hezekiah did? He's in, now Israel had gone through Assyria. Since then, Assyria had come into Israel, the northern kingdom, and ransacked them, destroyed them. Poof, virtually gone. But Judah, Hezekiah, is sending to Israel and saying, come in, come in, I'm inviting you in. To the, to the, to the ones that came and, and just, they were at war um, with, you know, under his dad. You know, so this, I'm saying, he's saying, okay, no bad blood, let's all get together. So reform and an invitation. And what he invites them to do is to return. Um, Uh, look at verse, um, verse 7. This is what he sends out to him. It says, um, Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who are unfaithful to the Lord God of, of their fathers, so that he made uh, them a horror as you see. Uh, do not stiffen your neck like your fathers, but yield to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, um, that his burning anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord... He says it you know, several different times. If you return to the Lord, your brothers and your sons will find compassion before those who led them captive and will return, and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate and will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. Return to the Lord. Return to him. Return, return. Give the invitation. And what he was inviting them to do is, is to, to go, and, go ahead and trust the Lord, to obey the Lord, and to repent. Now, this, is, this, is, this is amazing here. In verse, um, um, verse 9, For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your sons, okay, if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your sons will find compassion before those who led them captive and will return to this land. 
So he's inviting them to return to the Lord and saying, by your returning, your brothers and sons who have been taken captive are going to have be, um, will be shown compassion. So your returning is not just for you, it's for others as well. Isn't that interesting? If you think about it, it's, it's exactly what the Lord does. In, in, Daniel, in Daniel, Daniel goes before the Lord and repents for the entire nation. Y'all remember this? It's a great, it's a great, great passage. Um, he repents for the entire nation. He, he had known that uh, Jeremiah had predicted 70 years. He knew that was coming up. And so he, he prays this prayer to the Lord and says, we have, we have sinned against you. We have uh, turned after other gods. We have done, and Daniel is faithful, 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 faithful. There's hardly anybody in Scripture as faithful as Daniel. And yet he takes it upon himself and says, we have turned away. We have sinned. We have gone after other gods. Lord, forgive us. And the invitation that, that uh, Hezekiah is giving is to say, return, and that won't be just for you, but it'll be for all of the people even those in captivity. So the invitation for us is to return to the Lord. You know, as, as I said, clean house. But you know what? We need to be willing and able to give the invitation. And I'll tell you what, I am bad at this. You know, a lot of times when we are talking to people, um, let, me, let me put it this way. You know, when, when you're in sales, and I, I haven't done a lot of sales, but when you're in sales, they, they, uh, or even in persuasive speech, I, I took a class, and part of the class was persuasive speech. You get to a point in your pitch that you give the ask, right? So you, you're going to ask them for the sale. Are you ready to sign on the dotted line? Yes, I am. Or you are asking for, for money, right? Now, we need $150,000 for this project. How much are you willing to give? Why Can you give the whole thing? Or you're asking for a, um, you know, you maybe a, a sale of a home. You know, are, are you willing now to make it? What, what kind of offer are you willing to make? What kind of offer can you make to uh, this person? And so you're asking for that sale. Now, as a preacher... I'm in a tough spot a lot of times, and I'm sure you can relate, because you don't want to embarrass anybody, right? So you're giving the, the gospel, and you're like, you know what? Um, everybody, close your eyes, and if, if, if you just, if you feel this in your heart, then tell the Lord. That way, you're not, I'm not embarrassing anybody. It's, it's somebody, you know, a lot, and a lot of times we do this when, we, when we're um, witnessing to someone, Right? We're just saying, we're waiting for an opportunity to just say something that will turn them to God. And, it, and that's a good thing. And we need to be listening and be, be sensitive to that. But there comes a point when we need to ask the question. I'm a Christian. You need Jesus. Do you want to make that happen today? We need to ask the question. And that's why that's that difference I was talking about earlier of just praying that people get convicted 
versus saying, let's pray that not only will they be convicted, but they will be converted. And we are, we are believing that any time we get the opportunity to speak to someone who needs it, that they will get the full thing. And then I believe when we get to that point, when we're expecting that, we're praying for it, okay? None of this comes without prayer. But when we're expecting that, that Jesus movement day where it's easy, and all you got to do is say, hey, we're having, a, we're having an evangelistic service. Come and get saved, and it'll be full because we're expecting it and we're believing for it. We've got, the, we've got it backed with prayer, and people will come, and it'll be easy. But it's not going to be easy if we're not willing to ask. Ask people to return. And for me, I'm telling you, what, what I'm going to start doing, and it's something that I've, I've got, to, the Lord's been pushing me, and I mentioned this a little bit last week. Um, I've got to start asking people for, um, uh, I, I need to start giving invitations in the service. And specifically, I need to give opportunity for the Holy Spirit to move. So I'm going to start inviting people up in the service, whether it's a specific invitation to the, um, to the message Okay, maybe it's maybe I'm maybe it's evangelistic. I'm gonna say, look, who wants to get saved? Raise your hand, or um, but or just to say, look, if you need to be filled with the Spirit, come on up, because I need to give an opportunity every time I can for the Holy Spirit to do His job, and to say, okay, you know, I, I I'm just a vessel. You 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 go, Holy Spirit. Here's an opportunity for you to work. It's not just me, though, right? Because all of you are containers of the Holy Spirit. Right? Yes. Good. Please. <laughs> Help me out here. Right? All of you are containers of the Holy Spirit. So we need to be ready to do the exact same thing when we're outside of these walls. Inside the walls, too. Right? But when we're out there, let's give an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to work. Listen for it. Be, be ready to say, look, you need prayer. I've got it. I'm praying for you. Ask them. Every once in a while, you, you know, I've, I've rarely, rarely, rarely ever had anybody say no to, to saying, hey, can I pray for you? I think once I had somebody say, mm, no, that's all right. Okay. But I don't care where they're at in their, in their life. You say, hey, you're going through this. Can I pray for you? Most people say, yeah, please. And you give, you give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to work. Ask the question. Ask people to ask them for that return, right? Ask them return, and, and you've got the answer, every single one of you. You've got it within you. Ask the question and give the Holy Spirit an opportunity. They, they, people may say no, but you know what? It won't be on us because we've asked the question, right? We've given the opportunity. And um, then uh, this is amazing. Oh, I forgot. Um, so they reinstitute the Passover. Um, 
They couldn't celebrate it at the, at the normal time because they didn't have everybody and everything ready. So they celebrated it late. Um, so they, let's see. Um, Hezekiah actually had to pray for people because they, so they'd be healed. So that's verse 20. Um, verse 21. Um, Sons of Israel present in Jerusalem celebrated the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days with great joy. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day after day with loud instruments to the Lord. Then Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good insight in the, in the things of the Lord. So they ate uh, for the appointed seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord God the Father's. And the whole assembly decided to celebrate the feast another seven days. So they celebrated the seven days with joy. So the, my last point is attend. Attend. And look, I know I'm preaching to the choir. You guys are the ones that are there, here every Sunday. You're here on Wednesday nights. But you know what? Um, whether it is attending church, prayer, reading your Bible, or I, was, I wanted to mention this for the Lord's table, too. You know, it can be something that gets to be religious. It can be a check mark. And we're good at checking the box, right? And I want to encourage you, don't let attending, whether that is just being here or, you know, attending the table of the Lord or attending to prayers and attending to uh, reading, reading the word. Please do all those things, but let it be something that is uh, it, that you're doing out of your heart with, with joy and because this is something the Lord has in you and you're, you're hungry for it. And what, what has happened um, over the generations when revival hits, you might have to sacrifice. A lot of those other boxes that you have, that you check on a daily basis, well, I've got work, and I've got family, and I've got, I've got to eat this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to clean house, and I've got to X, Y, Z. A lot of those other boxes, the Lord's going to say, how, how, um, how important are those other boxes that you're checking? This is historical, okay? I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm just saying this is how, maybe the Holy Spirit won't work this way this time, but this is what he's done in the past. And going all the way back to Pentecost, they met when? After Pentecost. Daily. Daily. Thank you. <laughs> Carolyn's got bonus points today. Right? They met daily. They went house to house daily. Right? Great awakening happens. What they do? They meet daily. The next one, they meet daily. They, they, they get together and they say, I can't get enough. I leak. I leave this place and I leak. I got to get some more, right? They, they, they came together daily. Now, maybe the Holy Spirit won't do that this time, but that's what he's been doing for 2,000 years. When this happens, are you, are, are you willing to say, yeah, I'll be there? Yes, and there, there'll be those times that you say, uh, I, I have to be someplace else, but I'm there. I'm there when the doors are open. I'm there, not because not because I need to check the box, but because I'm hungry. 
I'm hungry for the Holy Spirit. I'm hungry for God. I'm hungry for the things that He has. I'm hungry to just have Him fill me. I'm hungry to see what He's going to do. What's He going to do tonight? Right? What's He going to do? The excitement, the anticipation, the expectation, the faith to say, look, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna all be here. The Holy Spirit's going to show up and... Boy, it's going to be exciting. But are you willing to do it every night? And it comes down to, is it a religious thing to do? Or is it you're doing because you're hungry and you're just in love with the Lord, right? And you just want more of Him. I want more of the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what um, Finney was saying. It's going to cost. But when you hear that still small voice that says, hey, pray. Or hey, do this. Hey, be at service tonight. Are you willing to drop everything and listen to the still small, still small voice? And you say, no, this is more important. <laughs> and like I said, I know, that, I know there's other things in life. Okay? But um, I just want to, are you doing it out of religion? And I know you, you, guys, you guys are great. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not trying to point my finger at anybody here because you guys are faithful, faithful, faithful. But I am bringing to the, to, it's, if, if we want to live in revival, if we want to live with the Holy Spirit moving and working, in our lives in a mighty and powerful way, it will cost us. It'll cost. It'll cost time. It'll cost time in prayer. It'll cost time in service. There may be a financial cost. I tell you what, right now with gas prices, the way I'm getting back and forth to church is a financial cost. Okay? But is it worth it? It, it, it may cost friends. Oh, you go to that Holy Roland church down there. It used to be that, you know, these churches, like, have, you know, people would come and they'd peer in the windows just to see if people were rolling down the aisles. All right? I'm talking historical here, so who knows? Will it happen? It might cost other Christian friends. What's going on at your church? You are, you are crazy. You are weird. You're doing some weird, funky stuff. This is what's happened in the past. This is what happened with the other Great Awakenings. Is it going to be different? I don't know, but you know what? Historically, how am I going to do this? All right. Let's... Um, if you will, um, I want to come to the table of the Lord now. And in the, the manner of what I was just speaking of, right? Hezekiah brought everybody back to Passover to celebrate. And several different times we have seen that the ta- you know, celebrating Passover, celebrating communion, celebrating the Eucharist. 
This is when God broke out. So I want to encourage you, as we come to the table of the Lord this morning, is it a box to check? Or are you anticipating and believing that this is a chance for the Holy Spirit to move and to absolutely start shaking everything up? I really hope it's the latter. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you once again that you you chose to die. You chose to come. You chose to be like one of us. Frail, able to uh, fall down and skin our knee. You chose to come to earth and to die for us. And we thank you so much for that. We thank you on this Pentecost Sunday that you did not leave us alone. You did not leave us without, but you sent your Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I'm asking that you would come come and, and breathe on this table here. Holy Spirit, let it be that this bread and this juice are more than just bread and juice. But let us experience you when we take of this table today. That when we take the bread, that we touch you. We, we bring you into our body. That when we take the cup, that we, that we are, we are in, in some way touching you and bringing you into us. And that we get changed here this morning. So Lord, I pray your blessing, your grace, your Holy Spirit to be upon this table this morning. And likewise, touch each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen.